Welcome to Cup of Cubby Blue, your off-season home for Cubs news, updates, and banter. We're the official podcast of Bleed Cubby Blue, and you can find us wherever you get your podcasts by searching for Bleed Cubby Blue. My name is Sarah Sanchez. I write about the Cubs, the off-season, pandemic life, and sometimes just random stuff for Bleed Cubby Blue. Hi, guys. Andy Cruz, Vanasek, and I'm so happy to hear that intro. Like, it was like music to my ears. I was like, oh, there it is. We've missed you guys. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we've definitely missed you a lot. We've talked about it a bit offline, but we should totally own up to our delayed absence here. And I mean, I'm just going to be honest, and maybe this will resonate with some people, maybe it won't. What sort of started to me as like a week off because we were super in a state of letdown after the Cubs got swept by the Marlins and like scored one run in 18 innings. What on earth? But we'll get to that later. Um just kind of kept going. And I, I don't know, like pandemic life is hard. It is a drudge to get up every day. It is not easy to keep things going. And I just found myself sort of slipping a bit in terms of my ability to focus and create content. There's been so much anxiety, so much going on in the world. I had a really hard October and I couldn't pull it together to get some of these things taken care of. In in fairness to Andy, we did actually record an episode, I think right before the division series and tech gremlins ate it. And that was just like, I don't know, y'all. So I've got, I've got very little excuse for the prolonged absence. I'm super happy to be back. But I hope that people will relate a little bit to the mentality behind it. Well, and in all fairness to us, because um I know that we are pretty consistently on Twitter. We have, um, between the two of us, a pretty good following. We put out some pretty good tweets. We are consistent with our podcast. But keep in mind, we have other things besides just Chicago Cubs baseball. Yes, pandemic life has really taken a toll on me. I'm going to be brutally honest. This year has not been a good year. This is not a woe is me. I know everybody has had a rough year. I've just had some incredibly hard circumstances come my way this year and I'm dealing with it. It's, it's happened, but it's just kind of been one of those things where after baseball, I was allowed to just kind of um, be human and just kind of not be up all the time, if you will. Um, But Sarah and I have jobs besides what, when we do this, you know, we have day jobs that are quite stressful and, You know, we're watching the world around us, people losing their jobs left and right. So obviously we have to take special care of the people that need us during the day. So, you know, and that takes a lot of energy when you're already kind of emotionally drained and you're doing something already by day. It's, you know, it's tough. It's tough to get back in a swing and and be happy and be up. And, you know, I I, I struggled a lot after the Cubs lost. I'm not going to lie. And I think part of that, and I know we'll talk about this a little bit, but part of that was... We were so, and I'll say I was because I don't want to speak for you, Sarah, but I was so optimistic about what the Cubs could do in the playoffs. I felt like they went into the playoffs on a really good note. Like they had a good last couple of weeks. You felt like they were starting to kind of come together. They're maybe going to make a run. I mean, we were predicting a second round and, you know, crazy things like that. So, yeah, it, it, when you're kind of holding on to that as what could possibly give me some glimmer of happiness this year. <laughs> And it's totally swept out from under you. That's really hard. And not to say that obviously baseball is not life or anything like that. But when it's your escape from everyday real life, you kind of hold on to it a little tighter. So yeah, it was a huge, huge letdown for me. I was definitely emotionally drained and just kind of wanted to be for a while. So you're getting the best versions of us that have probably been in a couple weeks because we are very excited to be talking baseball with each other tonight. So Yeah, I'll just echo a little bit of what you said. It wasn't even so much that I thought the Cubs were going to like win the World Series or whatever. I did think that they had some potential to do a lot more damage in the postseason than they did. But I just, and I didn't even realize this until it was over, until like Cubs baseball was over and then ultimately baseball was over. That three-hour mental break from the world around us, from the stress of normal stress, like everyday job stress, all of that type of stuff, but also like the stress of living in a pandemic, the stress of not being able to see loved ones, the stress of planning holidays or figuring out if you can plan holidays or if they're not going to be holidays, the everyday sort of like trying to 
manage in a super stressful and currently unending situation just hit me really hard. Like losing those three hour breaks where I could listen to Len and JD make jokes about plays and stuff was that took a mental toll. And then when baseball, baseball ended, like when all of baseball ended, I was just like, I don't know. I felt like I had lost um, a really important mental break that I knew I know baseball has that place in my life, but I didn't understand how big of an impact it would have on me. And I, the only thing that I, I I really can't think of another time in my life where something like that has impacted me so much. The only possible analogy I've got is there was a time period a few years ago, um, long before Cup of Cubby Blue and long before I started writing for Bleed Cubby Blue, where I had lost a job through no fault of my own, but it was still like really stressful economically. And about a week after that, I hurt myself and I couldn't run. And so all of a sudden, like I didn't have my mental outlet of being able to run because I couldn't physically run for a few weeks. And I was searching for a new job and I was trying to like deal with the whole mental anguish of like having just lost a job. And that was similar to how this felt. Like I felt like I got hit by a ton of bricks and my safety blanket got ripped away at the same time. So I know that this is just a fun podcast for people. And Andy and I love coming together on a weekly or series by series basis to talk about the Cubs and baseball. We're great friends. We get a lot of energy from these conversations with each other, but I'll speak only for myself here. I I didn't have it for the last few weeks and I hope you're all out there still. I hope you're all still listening and we'll be back for the duration of the off season. But I think Andy and I both just needed a break. Yeah, a hundred percent. Like I am definitely um, excited and ready to start talking baseball again. And, you know, I, I, (laughs) I'm probably being a little dramatic here, but you know, the 2020 season feels like it was like months ago now, you know, like I'm kind of, (laughs) kind of onto other things. So I'm ready to think about what 2021 is going to look like, what the off season is going to look like. I guess we can recap some of this season, you know, the, the ups, I don't really want to relive the downs, but you know, there's definitely, there's definitely going to be, you know, interesting baseball things to discuss. So I'm here, I'm ready, happy to be back. Um, you guys can probably hear the energy. Like, obviously we, we sound rested. (laughs) I don't know if rested is the right word, but rested from, from things. We'll just say that. (laughs) <laughs> outstanding it's funny you're like it feels like baseball was ages ago I was thinking it feels like I voted 47 years ago and they haven't even called the results yet I'm like time in 2020 both moves faster than anything I've ever seen in my life and slower than anything I've ever seen in my life it is out of control y'all I have to tell you because I just looked at this while you were saying this and I was kind of chuckling because my cousin shared it on social media do you do you ever recall seeing that little video of that little teeny tiny I mean he had to have been like four or five little little guy running from third to home and he's doing like his slow-mo run <laughs> I love that video so and the, and the dad tries to push him a little bit and he's like ah get off of me you know that and so I, it, somebody posted this and said Nevada counting votes <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, but it just, it, 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 that kind of made me chuckle. So when you said that, I was like, that's perfect. I have to bring that up. <laughs> yeah, that's outstanding Twitter content right there. That's that's why you come back to Twitter. That's good stuff. <laughs> so baseball still exists. Uh, if you are, I mean, obviously there are not games going on at the moment, but if you are so inclined, you can watch the new and enhanced HD version of Ken Burns' b- baseball on MLB Network, it actually they just started with the first inning on Thursday night, which I'm I'm super. They started with the first inning on Wednesday night. Uh, it's Thursday night now, and the second inning should be playing as we record this. I'm super excited about this, Andy. I don't know about you, I love Ken Burns' baseball. It just it makes me feel comforted to think about the history of this game with warts and all. Like it just the the longevity of it, the way it tracks with the American psyche and experience, the history, the players. I love that documentary. Okay, I was going to say for some of us that I don't, I probably know what you're talking about when you explain it a little bit, but this is not ringing a bell to me. Can you kind of tell us what this is? Oh my god! Okay, yes, I wrote about this earlier this week. So you can check out that article. We'll make sure we link it from our Twitter account. Um, In 1994, Ken Burns 
created the documentary Baseball. So those of you who are not familiar with Ken Burns, he also did the Civil War documentary. He's done documentaries on the Dust Bowl and jazz. He's basically like America's greatest documentary historian. And he tells the story of who we are and how we got here in these awesome PBS documentaries that I remember watching as a kid. My favorite of his documentaries, for obvious reasons, is his... Um, I think it's 11 part series on baseball. And and the reason it's 11 parts, he broke it up into innings. So the original 1994 release is the first inning through the ninth inning. And then about 10 years later in 2010, he released the bottom and the top and bottom of the 10th innings that covers the steroid era, those types of things. He has hinted that one of the things that would inspire him to create an 11th inning is the Cubs winning the World Series. So I I would be on the lookout for that in the next few years that the uh, history of the 2010 to 2020 baseball era might be coming up. And I imagine the Cubs World Series win would have a huge part in that. But each of these programs is basically a two hour long snapshot looking at the history of baseball from its earliest, earliest moments, like literally where did the game come from? And no, y'all, it is not Abner Doubleday, despite what you may have heard, uh, all the way up to now. And it's beautiful. It's absolutely incredible. And if you're looking for something to do this offseason, if you have a DVR, you should absolutely TiVo or DVR Ken Burns's baseball. They just re-released it in high definition for the first time. So all of the old snapshots, the old footage of Babe Ruth, the old footage of Joe DiMaggio has been updated and it's widescreen and it's beautiful. And you can watch the whole thing. It's about 18 hours of baseball coverage that will get you through at least part of the off season. That is awesome. I'm definitely going to check that out. I am all about documentaries these days. I feel like I like go out onto Netflix like searching for them. So yeah, if there's one on TV that I can watch, even more for it. That's awesome. Thank you for that information. I knew Ken Burns was, but I was like, okay, what are we talking about with baseball? So I'm excited about this. This is good stuff. I like new stuff to watch that that is, um, you know, related to baseball, especially in the off season, because stuff can kind of get stale um, when they replay stuff, especially if it's the playoffs and it doesn't involve the Cubs. <laughs> totally. And even if you missed the first inning last night, don't sweat it. You should go back and watch it. I think PBS is still showing it. They were letting you stream it during the pandemic in the early days when we were all locked down, which I thought was super cool of PBS. So you can watch the first inning there, but I highly recommend watching them. They're like two hours, two and a half hours long with commercials a piece. And there's just some incredible tidbits there. And look, I've heard the complaints from people who say it's East Coast centric and there's too much about the Yankees and the Brooklyn Dodgers and the Red Sox and stuff. And yes, that's baseball, right? Like you watch it every season and it's always East Coast centric, but there are lots of great nuggets about the Cubs, there are lots of little pieces of history about other teams. There are the episode on the Negro Leagues called Shadow Ball is one of the greatest two and a half hours of television I think I've ever seen. Buck O'Neill, um, who was a former Cubs coach and helped integrate the Cubs. He's the reason that Ernie Banks was a Cubs, the reason that Billy Williams was a Cub. Uh, he is interviewed extensively in some of those episodes. There's just it's really great content and I highly recommend it. Well, I'm definitely excited to look it up. So thank you for explaining so much of it to me because I would have like not remembered to even go check that out. So I'm glad I asked. MLB Network, y'all. 7 p.m. last night, 7 p.m. Thursday night. And then I think they do the third and fourth innings next week on Monday and Tuesday. Perfect. I'm, I'm typing it down right now. <laughs> Woohoo! Um, one last element before we do a break. And then on the flip side, we're going to talk a lot about offseason things to watch, what we can expect from the Cubs, those types of things. But I just want to recognize, since this is a Cubs podcast, that 2020 to 2021 is going to be a really interesting year for this Cubs team. If for no other reason than the president of baseball operations, Theo Epstein, is basically a lame duck president of baseball operations. He has been really transparent that he doesn't think it's a good idea for leadership of any organization to last longer than a decade. Um, His decade will be up when this season expires, and most people do not expect that he will get another contract extension from the Cubs or that he would take one if it was offered. The uh, consensus of the blue check mark seems to be that that job is Jed Hoyer's if he wants it. But Andy, what do you think we can expect from this Cubs team as they're dealing with 
the transition of their leadership on top of the transitioning of a lot of contracts that are going to expire at the end of 2021. Well, I think that we've talked about this. We talked about this a little bit when we were on our manager hunt last off season when before um, David Ross got named uh, the next manager for the Chicago Cubs. I think everybody in the Cubs system that has been worth holding on to or that any of the, you know, higher management feels like they could stick is groomed for their next position. So I don't feel like it's going, yeah, it's definitely going to be a transition to move away from Theo because he has been amazing and he's obviously done things for this franchise that nobody else has been able to do. He's been in a kind of a team setting with the people that he works closely with and you know, that, that work below him. And I feel like each one of them are groomed for the next position up. So, you know, like, you've heard the saying, you know, you can't, you can't ever get promoted until you train somebody to do what you do type thing. So I kind of feel like that's the situation. I think it won't, it won't, you know, everybody is going to hate to see Theo leave because of what he's done for Chicago. I just don't see him sticking it out. I think he's one of those guys that he has his bucket list is like, you know, make sure every team gets (laughs) every team that's in a drought gets a world championship type thing. Um, you know, he did in Boston, he did in Chicago. He obviously his resume can pretty much land him anywhere. Someday I hope that he is um in the MLB front office because they could really use his help. So um, you know, I just I think that with all the stuff that's gonna happen player personnel wise, I think everybody that has worked in that front office under Theo has done a little bit of everything. So I don't think that it's going to be as scary as it probably sounds. I think we won't even probably notice a whole lot is changed other than the names. Um, But it'll be interesting to watch. It'll be interesting to see how they finagle some of these contracts because we do have a lot of people that we need to figure out which direction we're going with. Um, And I'm sure that this is already kind of in the works. They already know what they're doing. They kind of have an idea what the plan is. Um, It'll be interesting to find out who they shop and and that sort of thing because that is a little scary. Yeah, as our friends at the Enrico Palazzo podcast noted when we visited them earlier this week, a couple of Cubs front office guys are interviewing in other places. Notably, Jason McLeod just interviewed with the Angels. And I cannot remember the name of the rising star who took a position with the Giants last offseason. But so it's it's not inconceivable that there could be some shakeups. It does seem like if things go according to plan and the Ricketts decide to stick with the spirit of the current regime. That is Jed Hoyer's job if he wants it. And then Jed will have to backfill the rest of those positions. But I I tend to agree with you that this is going to be less of a, oh my gosh, what comes after Theo? Then it's going to be a smooth transition. I trust the people that Theo has worked with for decades to manage that transition and to do a great job with it. Whatever you want to say about the Ricketts, they brought in an outstanding baseball operations department that has delivered. So I think that we can look for that to be a smooth transition, although it is a storyline that is going to follow the team this entire offseason. So you definitely have to be aware of it. Oh, absolutely. Because I know that there's a lot of speculation out there if, um, you know, how it already doesn't make sense for him to stay with the Cubs this year because of, you know, obviously he's not going to be part of, um, if he's not sticking around, which I don't see it. I mean, I think we agree on that. Do you think he's going to stick around? I mean, I think that he's going to stick around for 2021. I don't well, think he's I mean, going after to that. leave before his contract is done, but no, I do not see an extension coming. And I think if it were offered, I think Theo would not sign it. Yeah. That's kind of what I meant. But I mean, people are questioning what is going to actually happen with him at the helm for 2021 because of the fact like he's obviously not going to be involved with any of these players coming in long-term or, you know, he's not going to, you know, light a match on his way out type deal, but you also don't think he's, I don't feel like he would be as aggressive with certain situations because, you know, he may already be planning his next move. I don't think that's how he operates, but I also don't feel like he's probably going to be as invested in, you know, what the Cubs want to do or, you know, what the next game plan is. He's not going to be able to set up the next, um, you know, whatever the the situation is for the coming years. He's not going to be able to do that because he's not going to be part of it. It's not something that 
he's going to feel strongly about. So it'll just be interesting to see how 2021 shapes out with all the different contracts and, you know, that sort of thing. So I want to push back a tiny bit on what you said, but I think I think we agree. It's just the wording that I want to tweak a tiny bit. I think Theo cares. I think he wants to leave the organization in great shape. He's not going to like twiddle his thumbs on the way out the door or anything like that. But he's a lame duck. And there's something about managing in a lame duck situation where you know you're not coming back. That means part of what you're doing is handing decisions off to other people who are going to be responsible for those decisions when they happen. Right. And so it's not so much that he'll be hands off or anything. I think Theo's going to see this through to the end. He's an incredible manager. He's a outstanding worker. I actually love the idea you raised of Theo working for MLB. Please make Theo Epstein the next commissioner. Get rid of Rob Manfred. I would love that. I think that would improve baseball dramatically. But I don't think you can expect him to be. He's not going to own some of these decisions in the same way. Other people are going to have to see them through. And I think a good manager recognizes that. And Theo is nothing if not an outstanding manager. Yeah, that's that's exactly what I meant. And I, I did not choose the best words to to say that in. But yeah, I mean, essentially, he's just, you know, he's not devising the plan because he's not really going to be part of the plan. So, um, I mean, and maybe he is, you know, maybe he he's setting it up for, uh, you know, Jason or whoever else is coming up to do any of the stuff that he does. Um, you just never know. You just never know. I just don't feel like he's going to have the same passion and fire that he did on his very first day with the Chicago Cubs. I think, you know, he's going to probably hand off decisions or, you know, have to work with a team of individuals to make decisions that he would have normally made himself because, you know, they're going to be the ones that are there to to follow it through. So I did not mean by any means that he's giving up, you know, I, that's not at all the case that I think he's just not that type of person. He has too much of a reputation at stake to do anything like that. And yeah, I mean, let's, let's get that, let's get that, uh, going on Twitter that we want (laughs) Theo in an MLB office after 2021. Word. Theo Epstein for commissioner, the, the, Uh, hashtag is starting to trend right now. Um, (laughs) We're going to take a quick break while we get that hashtag trending for some words from our sponsors. But on the flip side, we're going to look at what the next offseason might look like, what the Cubs in 2021 might look like, who is staying, who is potentially leaving, and what we can expect from this team as we prepare for what might be another season of pandemic baseball people. But first, a quick word from our sponsors. All right, Andy, I don't even know where to start here. I feel like there are three possibilities I'm going to let you pick. The first is pandemic baseball, yes, no. What does baseball look like in 2021? The second is who do we know already will not be with the Cubs in 2021? And who do we think might not be with the Cubs in 2021? And the third is of the players who we think are coming back, who should get an extension and why? Your pick. Oh, my gosh. Seriously? You're going to make me pick? Uh, Let's do pandemic. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Sure. So (laughs) we think baseball is going to look like in 2021. I mean, by all accounts, 2020 was a unique experience in baseball land. And the owners are already crying about the $3 billion. That's billion with a B that they claim they lost. I mean, wow. Yeah. 2020 was, you know, I will just say I was, I'm thankful that we had a baseball season. Yes, it was 60 games and it got treacherous there towards the end when we weren't sure what was going to happen and how it was all going to unfold. But it actually ended up being a real, a pretty cool season. Like, obviously I don't want to do this again if we don't have to. Um, But to have a season like this in our, that we've experienced and that we, kind of live through, you know, nobody got to watch live baseball, but we got to see it, you know, we got to see some, some things unfold that normally would not have happened. So um, you also watched a lot of rule changes that are probably going to be put into play now with a regular season. I, I use the word regular loosely, because compared to 2020, I think that <laughs> regular is going to look different. But I think when I say regular, I mean, I feel like there'll be fans in the stands in 2021. I feel like we'll probably get it closer to a full season in. Um, you know, I, I don't, it's just, wow. What, what a crazy situation to be living in, let alone play any kind of a baseball season in. 
Yeah, I agree with you that there will probably be fans in the stands. I think that it will look a lot like what we saw during the World Series at Globe Life Park. If you think about it, Wrigley Field didn't have fans in it, but the rooftops did. So Chicago's ordinances already allowed for like small public gatherings outside. I think that you will not see baseball parks at capacity at any point in next season. I think that you might see them at 25% capacity, maybe even 30% capacity. I imagine that there will be temperature checks and mask wearing. The thing that actually sort of fascinates me about this, and I need to do some reading on it because I'm sure somebody has written this piece about the World Series, but you know, I understand how you get people into the stadium. I understand how you get them to their seats so that they can watch the game. I do not understand how you manage things like concessions or bathrooms <laughs> or all sorts of other places where people come in close contact with each other and are basically handling the same thing. So that's a logistical problem that somebody is going to have to work out in MLB. I think the other logistical problem that pandemic baseball will still be faced with next year is how you keep players safe in terms of traveling all over the place. I think you might see another format where they do the like central bubble thing again, where they try to minimize the amount of travel that teams are doing, try to minimize the cross country trips, even if it means that you're sacrificing something in terms of the schedule. So I'm really interested in those conversations. The other thing I heard you bring up, Andy, that I just want to know your hot take on Al wrote about this earlier for this earlier this week for the site you know, there were a ton of rule changes in 2020. Which ones do you want to see stick? Because some of them I liked better than others. <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, so there's a couple that I did not, like, I don't want to say pay attention to because I definitely paid attention to them. But I didn't feel like they bothered me as much as I thought they would. So, like, the three batter minimum for pitchers, that didn't drive me crazy. There was may maybe only one or two instances where I was like, okay, this really sucks. Like, I really wish we could move on from this guy earlier than three batters. Um, but that wasn't terrible. Like, I really thought that would be a lot more clunky than it was. Like, I would really take notice of that. That wasn't bad. Um, I didn't mind the DH. I honestly didn't. Like, I love watching pitchers hit when it's a certain pitcher, but there's only a handful of those pitchers. So to have another guy who actually brings up an exciting at bat or has the possibility of bringing an exciting at bat, not to say pitchers can't do that. Cause I think it's even more exciting when pitchers have big hits, but again, that does not happen all the time. That's only, you know, a select few pitchers can hit well. And, you know, and it's kind of funny that I'm saying this though, because we're looking at a Chicago Cubs team who couldn't hit for crap this year. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, so, you know, I know we made the joke halfway through the season or at some point in the season that it, we would have been better off having our pitchers bat. <laughs> Because our guys couldn't do it. So, um, yeah, I think those were probably the two main ones. I did not love the guy at second. I know that we talked about this at length before the season started. That I, that was one that I, I didn't mind. Like, I didn't hate it. I did not like that. I did not like that at all. I felt like that was a really bad NFL rule. You know what I mean? Like, they've NFL has done some really crappy tie-breaking rules in the past. And I felt like that was one of them. Um I, I hope they do away with that. I hope that never sees the light of day again in Major League Baseball. Um, but yeah, I mean, for the most part, that those were really the only ones that struck me one way or the other. Yeah, it's funny that you bring up the runner on second rule. I also cannot stand this rule, mostly be because of two things. One, I think that it creates so much pressure on the home team if the visiting team scores in the top of the inning that it almost just totally erases home field advantage in a way that's weird that I never thought I would feel before. But the second is, and I get it. Like, I understand implementing this rule in super late innings, maybe like the 14th, 15th or something like that. It just seems unnecessary in the 10th. And it seems like it's probably unnecessary in the 11th too, right? Like, it seems like a rule that you could implement in the 12th or 13th inning when the game's getting to be about four and a half, five hours long, and I might be for it. But I just hate it immediately in the 10th inning. Yeah, that, that's 100% why I did not like it either, because I thought it was, 
it really takes away home field advantage. The pressure factor is, I just don't feel like, I feel like the 10th is very premature to apply that much pressure to that situation. I feel like a lot of games that we watched go into extra innings, not even just this season, but just as a whole, we watch a lot of games go into extra innings and they manage to take care of it by like the 10th or 11th inning. So yeah, I mean, if you set something like that up for a little later in the in in extra innings, I think that wouldn't be quite as painful. But I think that, making it happen right away in the top of the 10th. Like, you know, you want to keep somebody with a home field advantage started in the bottom of the 10th, at least, you know, like Like it just, to me, it just felt unnecessary to apply that much pressure so quickly. I felt like the 10th was just a little aggressive. Right. I totally agree with you about the three batter minimum. I probably only noticed it the, at the early part of the season when Craig Kimbrell would come in and couldn't throw a strike. Um, I like the designated hitter. I know that not everyone agrees with me here. Yes, I kind of miss like seeing, you know, John Lester hit a home run or something like that. But frankly, I'm willing to give up those rare moments for the actual offense to continue. I think the bigger problem with the designated hitter is that it isn't the offensive fix that people in MLB's front office thought it would be because so many hitters are three true outcome guys right now that that's not increasing contact in the game. It's just increasing the strike walkout home run thing in the game. So what you need to do, and the one rule change I would sort of like to see MLB take on this season is to figure out some way to, I don't, I don't know exactly how, I don't want them to outlaw the shift, but I want them to regulate it somewhat. So I think there need to be rules about like how many guys can be in whatever is considered the outfield how many guys have to be on either side of second base when the ball is thrown. I I think that would do a lot to bring offense back into the game, probably more than the designated hitter does. Although I like keeping the DH because the players union likes it. It keeps them happy. And I'm generally pro things the players want. You know, I love that, um, the idea of regulating shifting. And I know that, you know, we've, I don't think we've ever discussed it, but I have heard other people talk about how that's something that needs to probably be looked into just because, um, you know, you're so concerned with keeping this game offensive and keeping it sexy and exciting. And that is a great way to do it. I mean, you look at how many hits the Cubs would have had if these shifts weren't so obnoxious, you know, it's, it's depressing and it's angry. It's angering because you, you hear a ball come off a bat and you're like, Anthony Rizzo just hit a liner up, you know, right center and boom, there's a shortstop there. It's like, what? Like, (laughs) that's not even okay. Like, you are so far, you know, and then, like, you know, I know you keep a scorecard, so I can't even imagine the nightmare that this is for scorecard keepers. But, like, you know, it just, to me, it's just, it's overkill, I think. Like, baseball, let baseball be baseball. Uh, The shift, yes, okay? In some situations, it makes sense. You know, if you're doing an infield shift when the bunt's on or something like that, there has to be just some way to regulate what's happening in, you know, the shallow infield or shallow outfield, infield situation. It just, yeah, it it looks ridiculous. It looks silly. And, you know, it's a good way to to get offensive numbers back up, which, you know, let's be honest, that's what your consumer wants to see. Totally. Let baseball be baseball is absolutely going to be the title of this episode, by the way. That is just a great (laughs) line. And I love it. That's outstanding. A break is good for us, huh? (laughs) (laughs) Everybody needs time off. I think that one of the things we forget, particularly with content creation, because so many people on SB Nation, Fansided and other sites are they're, they're contractors. They're freelance people doing this work in addition to their normal jobs. Like it's really hard to get actual time off when you're freelancing and doing contract work. And so, you know, I, I apologize that we didn't flag it more. I don't think we even saw it coming, but frankly, I think it was good for us and everybody needs time off. A hundred percent. So thanks y'all for the vacation, but we are back. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Speaking of things that are back, a lot of players are coming back next year. Some of our players are not. So let's talk a little bit about who we know is coming back right now. Despite the rumors that some people were trying to foster during the offseason, namely to give people a heart attack and increase click rates, Anthony Rizzo's option was picked up by the Cubs. Anthony Rizzo is coming back to the Cubs for 2021. He will be a free agent after the 2021 season. Uh, Daniel Descalso is not (laughs) coming back 
to the Cubs. And I know everybody's just totally heartbroken about that. But we'll wait, wait, wait. Out. Hold on. Hold on. I have to get a Kleenex. <laughs> this is so bad. Andy, are you going to be okay? Oh, my God. Did you say Daniel Descalzo? Yeah, there's going to be an empty spot on the 60-day IL. <gasps> oh, that's so horrible. What will we do? <laughs> okay, while Andy's crying about that, <laughs> I'm going to bring up the one that might actually make her cry, which is John Lester is um, did not have his option picked up by the Cubs. That does not mean that there's zero chance that John Lester will be in a Cubs uniform next year. It does mean that the Cubs and John Lester will have to come up with some type of one-year deal to work out a reunion for next season. I think that's a thing that is possible. John Lester has certainly signaled that he would like to finish his career in Chicago with fans in the stand. He absolutely deserves that standing ovation that all of us wanted to give to him. And by the way, props to the man for buying like anybody who wanted a Miller Lite, a beer in Chicago over last weekend. I thought that was just a super classy act. Andy, how are you feeling about the Lester stuff? Yeah, it hurts. It definitely hurts. But we we kind of knew this was coming. This was definitely a situation that when his contract was signed, you looked at the back end of it and you're like, yeah, you know, it will be lucky if we get to that point. And he's still a solid starter, which here we are, you know, um, he has been amazing for this franchise. He's done things for this team. He's, he's, you know, created a culture within Chicago Cubs baseball that would not be there otherwise. You know, he's somebody that deserves to have that ovation, deserves to have people that he gets to wave his hat at out in the stands. You know, I'm just picturing it. And I just can't imagine that the Chicago Cubs wouldn't do right by him in this situation. I think um, there's just too many people that he has ties with that, you know, if there's nobody else in this franchise that you've ever been loyal to, we got to start with this guy because you know, just everything he's done, the person he's been for the team, you know, who he is to the community, the things that he's done for baseball in general. I mean, yeah, I am not overstating this. I mean, if you followed him in his career with the Chicago Cubs, even before that, you know what kind of person he is. You know um, what he means to to baseball and, and the Chicago Cubs now, you know. So, yeah, I could definitely see this being a mutual thing where they make sure he rides out his last solid year um, you know, in a Cubs uniform and being able to play in front of a, a home crowd, which hopefully will happen at some point in 2021. And, you know, just being able to go out the way that he should go out. And quite frankly, I mean, I don't know where he'll be at if he would come out of the bullpen or if he'd be a starter, but we all know he's going to give you something. He may not be able to give you a full season. He may you know, whatever it is that he has to do, but he's going to give you something. If he's in your uniform and he's scheduled to be on the mound or he's out in the bullpen, he's going to give you something. I agree with that. And I think that John Lester makes a ton of sense for this team for two reasons. One, I just think that that is not how you say goodbye. And I, I understand that baseball is a business and teams are playing to win and they'll be playing to win in 2021. After that, a lot of contracts come due, but Theo and Jed are also really well known as a front office that players like to work with. They level with their players. I mean, it was sort of stunning to me after Lester was upset in that press conference after what um, wound up being his final start at Wrigley Field. Jed Hoyer said that they hadn't even realized that could be the case. It, it was clearly something they weren't thinking about in terms of the shortened season and just trying to like get to the postseason and all of that type of stuff. So I'm hoping they will do right by John Lester, bring him back, let him be your number five guy, use him out of the bullpen or something. But I, I feel like there has to be some kind of deal there. Um, also of note, in terms of arbitration eligible. So, so these are guys that are under team contract, assuming that they can come to a deal with the Cubs on what they are owed uh, in 2021. Teams have the ability to non-tender these players if they don't feel that they are worth the amount of money that they would get through arbitration. So you've got Chris Bryant, who is in his final year of arbitration. He got $18.6 million in arbitration in 2020. You would imagine he would stay right around that, maybe slightly go down or slightly get more in 2021. Javi Baez is in his final year of arbitration. It was $10 million in 2020 a $10 million contract in 2020. Kyle Schwarber 
was a $7 million contract in 2020. And again, you should assume that these numbers would go up, not down, even if the player underperformed quite a bit in the shortened season. Wilson Contreras uh, is in his second to last year of arbitration. He has an extra year of control because if you remember, Contreras didn't come up in the 2015 season. He came up in the 2016 season. He got $4.5 million in 2020. Jose Martinez has a couple more years of arbitration left. He was a $2.43 million contract in 2020. Albert Almora Jr. has two years of arbitration left. He was a $1.58 million contract in 2020. And then it's a bunch of um, bullpen guys until you get to Ian Happ and Victor Caratini, who both have two plus years of control left, which frankly probably makes them the most interesting trade candidates that the Cubs have. I'm not going to read through every single guy in the bullpen who is also up for arbitration. Andy, what do you think of these players? And, you know, th- these are the trade chips the Cubs ha- have or the players that they might say, you know, we're not going to make a deal with you for the amount of money that you're seeking. Well, let's be honest. Um, nobody had, I don't want to say nobody, but people that you mentioned, not very many of them had great, um, fantastic, off the charts, their value is through the roof type seasons this year where they're going to be shopped at, you know, some sort of ridiculous amount of return. It's just not going to happen. There are guys that, you know, I mean, like we didn't even say, you know, congratulations to Anthony Rizzo and and Javier Baez on their gold gloves. I mean, like, obviously you can't, I, I don't know. I have a hard time with, um, I, I read the other day a package with Jason Hayward, Wilson Contreras, and you Darvish for um, no, <laughs> she and Carlos Stanton, Sean Carlos, not like a what? chance, like no. Like, here's my thing: there's definitely going to have to be some movement here. We cannot afford; it's just not possible. We cannot afford to keep all of these guys. We just can't. This is something that I have gradually started to get used to. I am not saying who in my head I could see not being a Chicago Cub, but there's definitely going to be somebody, um, you know, I, I'm just, I don't like the hot take thing anymore. Cause I feel like I always make a fool of myself when I do the hot take thing. I'm just going to say, and I mentioned a name on another podcast that we are guests on, but I'm going to say somebody like a Kyle Schwarber, I could see being shopped. Um, you know, we're going to hear a lot of rumors. We're going to hear a lot of different things. Obviously we've already heard that I don't even know if that was a rumor, if that was just make-believe or what the heck that was, but we're going to hear a lot of things like that. So, you know, it's just going to be one of those off seasons where you're going to, you're going to feel like, my God, make it stop. (laughs) You know, like, just tell us what's going to happen, please, because there's going to be so many things swirling about. I can't see them getting rid of Javi Baez. I just can't. I don't even think that's an option. Wilson Contreras, I think he's furniture back there. And and Anthony Anthony Rizzo, I also believe, is furniture. After the years, years, or year and a half, I guess I can say, season and a half that you Darvish had, I don't see him being packaged to go anywhere. I see him being our ace for the remainder of his contract, if not an extension. Um, but that's 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 the only thing that I feel sure about at this point. I mean, who knows on everybody else? Well, I, I agree with you fundamentally about Wilson Contreras and Anthony Rizzo and Javi Baez. And I, I know that this is not the most popular take in a land, but I think that's the core that the Cubs build around. I think that that is where they've really got a ton of value. Um, and a lot of guys who, frankly, should be a part of this team for a long time. Anthony Rizzo is getting older. He's had some back issues. He is still, 2020 aside, a perennial top three first baseman and a guy who's going to give you right about 400 on base percentage and 30 home runs. You, you just don't walk away from that. He's also a guy who took a team friendly deal to see through this whole world series vision of Theo's. And I think you make him a cub for life. I guess he can't be a cub for life because he played like 14 games or something silly with the Padres, but basically cub for life. You make him a cub for life and you just like plan his statue now. Cause he's going to have a statue somewhere outside Wrigley field someday. And I'm going to be really upset if that doesn't happen. I think that Wilson Contreras is the, and this is not just my like whole Wilson Contreras is my favorite TM type of thing. I think Wilson Contreras is the player on the team who has demonstrated the most ability to improve and is one of the best hitting catchers in the league, which is a position that just doesn't generally give you offense. I mean, go out, 
take a gander at other lineups and tell me how many other teams have their catcher batting fourth or fifth. I'll wait. They don't exist. And the reason they don't exist is because most teams don't have that option. And the Cubs have just a wealth of good hitting catchers at the moment. They are they were DHing with Victor Caratini half the time. They've got Miguel Amaya hanging out in the minor leagues. But I think Wilson Contreras is the catcher for the present and the future of the Chicago Cubs. I would like to see an extension get done there. I, I think the city of Chicago might riot if El Mago was traded and went somewhere else. I think that bad things would happen if the Cubs tried to trade Javi Baez. And I am not here for it. But I think now is the time for people to wrap their heads around the idea that you have to change some things. And this team does not have a offensive core that is consistent enough to per- perennially be in the postseason, which has always been the goal. So they're going to have to mix some things up and yeah, buckle up. It's going to be a crazy off season. I will just one more note of caution before I turn things back over to Andy for a second, which is that the rumor mill during the off season is always annoying. And there is an incentive for writers to write up every single rumor, even if it's not credible, in order to get clicks on their stories. So you need to be a discerning consumer of sports media in the offseason or you're going to drive yourself insane. There's a really big difference between some other team's front office speculating that they think a player might be available and a rumor that someone from the Cubs front office said a player was available. And you should also keep in mind that five or six articles are going to get written off of every single rumor. So you should not take all of those articles as proof that like, look, this is definitely going to happen. There's six articles on it. They're all written off the same rumor, people. So try (laughs) to keep yourself sane and know the difference between rumors that come out of the Cubs front office and rumors that come from somewhere else. And we need to totally earmark this portion of the podcast because I will need to go back and listen to it myself. Because I will, in fact, be falling for all of this because, you know, at this at that point in time when stuff starts happening like that, because it usually happens pretty quick, you'll be desperate for something baseball. <laughs> so I'll be like, Sarah, remind me again what I'm not supposed to do right now. Like, I'm not supposed to be believing this, right? <laughs> totally. And I'm just going to say right now, the, the Cubs are not silly enough to send Jason Hayward and Wilson Contreras to the Yankees for Giancarlo Stanton. Come on. Giancarlo Stanton has all of the same offensive problems that the Cubs have. He's a three true outcome hitter and he's a downgrade defensively. Like, come on, people. And not to that, mention his contract is obnoxious. This is not going to – I just don't see that one happening. And frankly – Wilson Contreras is the first Cubs player in probably 20 years that if they did wind up trading him this offseason, I would probably have to restructure my fan loyalty for at least a few years because Wilson Contreras first, Cubs second. (laughs) Oh, you heard it here first, folks. (laughs) Oh, come on. That was not news to anybody. Everybody knows that's true. Okay. I would have a hard time cheering for Javi Baez in a Cardinal uniform, though. I'm going to just say it. Okay. I'm going to just say it. If it happens, how do you do that to Javi? I'm, no, but I'm saying, like, if, if I don't know that I could say Javi Baez first, Cubs second, especially if he's playing on the team like the St. Louis Cardinals. Like, I, that would just, that would be hard. That hurts, actually. Physically hurts to, to verbalize that. Okay, well, I, I, let's try to get that off your mind. We have one more segment before we close out the show. Andy, one of the things that is going to be really interesting this offseason, in addition to the players that the Cubs have coming off the books, we have quite a few free agents. We'll discuss them next episode. Looking at you, Tyler Chatwood. Looking at you, Jose Quintana. We will discuss all of them in detail next week. But one of the questions that I have that is outstanding in the back of my mind is what type of market these free agents are walking into. And it just does not seem like the early indicators are that there is a lot of big contracts out there waiting in the offing for these free agents. And and I'm going to talk about two things that I think signal this that happened within the last week or two. The first was the Indians designating Brad Hand for assignment. Uh, Brad Hand was owed $10 million next year. He's an outstanding reliever. That was the Indians way of saying anybody who is willing to pay this man $10 million can take him. And nobody claimed him off of waivers, which is bananas to me. That is absolutely a player who probably deserves $10 million next year and definitely is not going to get it right now. And the other one was the Cardinals um, declining on Colton Wong's option, which makes Colton Wong a free agent. That's $12.5 million, which is about what I thought Colton Wong was worth. And 
apparently the market does not think that. So Andy, what do you think free agents are walking into next season? Well, I think what they're walking into and what their agents are making them be delusional to are two different things because hopefully everybody gets on the same page with what this realistic situation is going to look like with the price tags and what people can actually afford. So, or what they were are willing to spend without actually knowing that they're going to have a suggested solid income next year based on, you know, how nobody was in the stands at the end of the regular season. You can't really go out and spend what you'd want to spend on some of these players that are going to be free agents. So, the other thing to, to consider with that is what agents are actually telling the, the players, you know, or what the conversations are that they're having um, as far as, you know, you, we might need to lower our expectations on what we're going to be getting. You know, there might be a boatload of one-year contracts until they can get revenues back up and then justify spending obnoxious amounts of money on these players. There might be a boatload of nothing. I mean, you know, I, who knows? Who knows? Because now that we went through this weird season where, you know, there wasn't a ton of revenue, um, it, it just it, it's going to be hard to imagine the same type of offseason where you have long, huge contracts. And, you know, I just imagine seeing a ton of one year contracts, hoping that, you know, the, they say, you know, stick around and we'll make it worth your while type situation. I don't know. It'll be really interesting. I mean, it's definitely going to be something to watch, uh, especially with the Cubs franchise because of what we've seen in past off seasons. You know, there's no money. There's no money. There's no money. Well, there was no money before COVID, before this pandemic. So now what? what's going to happen? You know, it's, it's a little concerning, but at the same time, I feel like this is a situation where the Chicago Cubs aren't the only one in this boat. I feel like it's going to be a lot, if not all, major league teams are going to have a lot tighter grip on their money this year. So we'll just have to see. But that's that's my prediction. I predict a lot of one-year contracts. Yeah, it is telling that after a couple of off seasons where the owners were like, no, there's no money. Now there really is no money. <laughs> like yeah. they, I, yeah. I, I am still skeptical of the amount of money that billionaires actually have that and I'm not in, I'm not in any way, shape or form falling for their like, we can't afford anything tricks. But I do think that it is more compelling that they have less money after a season where there were no fans, where they could not get any gate revenue and where the season was only 60 games. And that will impact the types of deals players who are free agents could sign this season. It will also impact the types of trades people are willing to make. It's going to be really interesting to see how different teams value a 60-game sample size in terms of trade values. And we will have all of the information you need to track that rumor mill, to track those contracts, and to keep track of your favorite Cubs and more all off-season long. You can until next week, you can follow us on Twitter at Cup of Cubby Blue. I am at BCB underscore Sarah. Andy is at BRYZ underscore blue. And we will be back each week during the long dark night of the baseball offseason with everything you need to know about Cubs news, updates, and banter. Bye.